Well, last weekend, about 30 of us went up to man camp. Woo-hoo, err, We got a bunch of grunts the first service from the guys that are up there. It was, it was fantastic. One of the things I loved about it is we already knocked out one of our 2020 goals, which is super cool since it's still 2019. And it's even cooler because it was a goal that I didn't know we had until we got up there. And I saw that there was a tournament that could be won. And I thought, all right. Now, here's the reason why it was a 2020 goal and not a 2019 goal. The, the tournament was a blacklight dodgeball tournament. And it's not something that I'm an expert in. And I didn't know if any of our guys were. And since I knew that there was a long tradition here at Snow Camp of guys coming up and that these churches would go up. And since I heard this was one of the highlights, here's how in my head I thought this was going to play out. I thought in 2019, we go in, we do a little recon and we start to see kind of how does this work? What are the best strategies? What does it take to win this thing? And then we come back in 2020 and we're ready. We got the right team. We got the right strategy. We come in and we win the trophy. Now, nothing went according to my plan because our guys just signed up and won it. So here's a trophy that the guys uh, took home. I had absolutely nothing to do with this at all. But way to go, fellas, bringing home the trophy. Now, our church is getting a reputation for going up to Covenant Pines and winning stuff. Um, But from the feedback we were getting, even more importantly, uh, we're getting a reputation for adding value to the retreat experience. And I'm really excited about that that people are beginning to say, thank you for coming up because you were able to add to this whole experience uh, with us. We brought an outstanding worship band up there. And one of the things they really appreciated about it was that these guys are real. They're authentic. In fact, we were praying before, the, the, um, before all the men arrived. We were praying with the worship band, and I just loved it. They said, God, thank you for this opportunity to just lead songs with friends. And I just love that. Love that that was the attitude. We developed messages that took us deeper into the Bible, challenged us to reflect on our lives. We brought up the notes. We brought visuals. We integrated communion. People appreciated how we wove it all together into an integrated experience that was focused, cohesive, and spirit-led. Over the next four weeks here, here, it's my hope that we're going to have a great Advent experience. That's my hope. That over the next four weeks, we're going to have a really good Advent experience experience. The word Advent means arrival. And for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, Jesus' followers have used these weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare, to prepare for a fresh Advent of Christ in their lives when Christmas time comes and for the coming year. Now, this is a season we're used to preparing, right? It's a season where almost all of us are preparing for parties, preparing for programs, preparing for gift-opening events. And if we're honest, a lot of times Jesus gets worked in there somewhere, right? Well, one of our distinctives as a church from the start said, let's build around these great events on the Christian calendar. Christmas, Easter. And let's not have those just be pleasant interruptions. Let's use those seasons, the season of Advent, the season of Lent. Let's use those seasons to prepare. So in the case of Christmas, let's use Advent to prepare for a fresh Advent of Christ in our lives. One of our goals each year, every year, is to make the most of these weeks leading up to Christmas. So that when we get to Christmas Eve, or in our case, Christmas Eve Eve, when we get to that service, and it comes time to open our service with, Oh, come, all ye faithful, it's not just words. But it's, it's really an invitation. We're saying, all right, let's gather. Oh, come, let us behold him. And that means something when we do that. So that 
when we open our Bibles to the Christmas story, we don't see ourselves as the ones who had no room in the inn. Right? We don't want to see that. So when we get to the part where the band leads us and hark the herald angels sing, we're really sharing in that joy. There's joy in us that we're excited to sing about. And so that when we follow the shepherds to the manger and we find a baby there and we sing Silent Night by Candlelight, we're lost in the wonder of the one through whom all things were made came to us. He came to us as a child, as a baby. And then when we go forth singing joy to the world, we have something to proclaim. It's not just a tradition, right? That it's something real and we're excited to share. There's a real joy that we believe has come into the world. Well, if we want to prepare for and experience a real Christ mass that prepares us to experience more of Christ in the earth head, then let's do it. Let's do it. Let's not give lip service to it. Let's actually do it. Well, months ago, we started considering, okay, what book of the Bible are we going to look at this year? When we do Advent together, what, what book of the Bible or what passage from Scripture, what are we going to dig into? And it was Becca, our director of outreach, she said, let's do Isaiah. Let's do the book of Isaiah. And as I was reading and rereading Isaiah, I had forgotten how many of the prophecies of Christmas are there. You're reading in Isaiah, whoa, that's in Isaiah. That's in Isaiah. That's in Isaiah. They were all over the place. I'm really excited for this series. Well, one of the sources I looked at said the book of Isaiah. I love how they said this. They said the book of Isaiah is like the Bible in miniature. It's like the Bible in miniature. And it is hard to find a book of the Bible that captures both God's beyondness and his with usness, like Isaiah does. Isaiah does both of those things really well. Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Isaiah was an educated man who served many, many, many years in Jerusalem. He was a political and religious advisor, and he had access to kings. He had this inside track, this opportunity to, to be close to these kings and, and to know the nation's history. And because he served for such a long time, he had the opportunity to see up close and personal kings that did a great job and kings that did a not great job. He had a chance to see both of them. Now, the core of his message had two parts. And you could roughly categorize the two parts as judgment, as judgment, and as hope. Isaiah warned the people they were going to experience God's righteous judgment. God had been patient for thousands of years. But now it was time for his righteous judgment because they continued to worship idols. They neglected the poor. They looked the other way while people had been oppressed. And Isaiah, though, also offered hope. He offered hope that this future king was going to come from the line of David and this king was going to change hearts, was going to save God's people. Well, in your notes, if you want to take out your Advent blue-eyed notes here today, at the bottom we have some recommended resources. And these are great resources if you want to start to build a Bible resource library. There's some study Bibles. There's another resource in there. You can see copies in the resource table out there in the lobby if you want to take a look. But we'd encourage you to dive deeper. Read Isaiah and read some of these notes about this great, great book. There's so much there, so much more than we can fully unpack here on Sunday mornings. But we'll do the best we can with the time we have. So what we're going to do today as we launch the series, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a couple of Isaiah's Christmas prophecies. And this is going to be fun. What I want to start today is instead of starting with Isaiah, first I want to show you the prophecy as it appears in the book of Matthew. Then we're going to go back to Isaiah, look at it, 
and, uh, and unpack all of this. So here we go. There's a place to write this in your notes as we get started, that looking at this first prophecy. The Emmanuel prophecy comes from the book of Isaiah. The Emmanuel prophecy comes from the book of Isaiah. So let's start in Matthew's gospel, where this Emmanuel prophecy is quoted. At least we'll work our way there. Uh, let's do that. And if you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free. We keep a stack of them at the table in the back, and we'd love for you to, uh, to take one home. All right, here we go. We're going to read verses 18 through 21 as we start. All right, again, this is the book of Matthew. Now, the birth of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, not knowing this, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, behold, remember that word, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. All right, here we go. Uh, Matthew. Matthew uses a word that we translate as behold. Translate as behold. It's a Greek word that prompts the reader to pay special attention to what comes next. The word behold is not one we use in casual conversation much anymore, huh? When was the last time you used behold? Behold, I'm home. You know? <laughs> And I think that's good because behold is such a powerful word. And we're going to actually build the whole service around behold, the Christmas Eve Eve service. I'm really excited for that. Powerful word. The angel here instructs Joseph to name the child Jesus. Name the child Jesus, which means the Lord saves. All right? So then after this, Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, picking up with verse 22. All this took place, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. All right, Matthew. Matthew says that this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And that prophet was who? It was Isaiah. Isaiah. So keep a bookmark in Matthew because we're going to come back to that. And let's turn to where we find that prophecy. That prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where we find this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that used to confuse me because the angel told, G told Joseph to name the baby what? Jesus. Anyone else get confused about that? Like, okay, didn't they say the name of Jesus? Why, what is this Emmanuel piece? Well, this is interesting. In the ancient world, it wasn't uncommon for a person to be given more than one name, especially if you were of royal birth. In Egypt, for example, five throne names were usually given to a royal child that embodied the claims and the hopes and the dreams of the Pharaoh. Now, the original context of Isaiah 7.14 is very interesting. In context, it appears as Isaiah is talking about something that's going to happen immediately, not hundreds and hundreds of years later. Because here is the context of what was going on then. For many years, Judah, the nation of Judah, where Jerusalem was, where Isaiah was, was led by a strong and effective king named Uzziah. 
But Uzziah died, as earthly kings do, and as his successor, King Ahaz, inherited the throne, the evil empire of Assyria was on the move. I'm not a historian, but if I understand the situation correctly, the nation of Assyria was the superpower. And so they were coming on their way to Egypt, and they were going to plow through everything in their path, which would include Judah and a couple other nations, Israel and Syria. Israel and Syria said, hey, Judah, why don't the three of us team up and attack Assyria? Judah says, no. They said, okay, we'll attack you to make you say yes, which is a really weird strategy, if you ask me, but that's what they were going with. Well, instead of turning to God or turning to those neighbors, Judah turns to Assyria and says, hey, we'll join up with you. Syria goes and knocks out Israel and knocks out Syria. And then what do you think they do to Judah? They say, we're taking you over too. And they made them pay tribute and it was just horrible. You know, in the midst of this, God invited King Ahaz, you pick a sign. You want to know that I'm with you? You want to know that I'm here? Do you want to know that you can trust me? You pick the sign, he says. God says this to the king. You pick the sign. It can be as high as the highest heaven. It can be low as the pit of hell. You pick the sign. Isaiah offers up a lame excuse. So God says, I'll give you the sign. Here it is. And that's the context of this original prophecy. Now, we don't know whether or not that sign was also happening to be fulfilled in Isaiah's day. We don't know that. If you look at one of those study Bibles, there's a whole lot of context around and notes around Isaiah 714. They've got all kinds of theories about that. We don't know. What we do know is it was fulfilled in Jesus' day. It was that. And here's something else we know. There's a place to write this in your notes. That name, that name Emmanuel, that sign, that name means what? God with us. That name means God with us. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And I want to tell you, we experienced God with us up at man camp this last weekend. In many ways, what we experienced in man camp paralleled my hopes, our hopes as a church for us at Advent. There were so many parallels there. And we're hoping, hopeful, that those parallels carry with us all throughout the year. Like Advent, there's a whole lot of guys. There's a long tradition with this. There's a whole lot of guys from these other churches. They look forward to this every year, every year. So there's an expectancy. There's an anticipation. And what do they do? They pray. They pray. I don't know what your experience, Jason, was, but I had so many guys come up to me and say, I've been praying for you before we even started. They didn't even know me. I was praying for you. I was praying for you as you were preparing these messages. You know, praying for us. They had this expectancy that God was going to do something. So they would prepare themselves in the weeks leading up to the event, and God honored it. He honored it. In fact, I found out that one of the guys was even praying. As he was praying, he was praying for this guy that was his coworker. It ended up being my cousin. One of my cousins, that was just fun. Well, you could see the expectancy from that first night. Before we even hit the first note, before the first thing was spoken, these guys came in, they start filling up the front first. At camp, we call it the front row attitude. They were there. There were so many men. They were ready to encounter. They knew something was going to happen. They were engaged during the worship. They were engaged during the teaching. They were there to meet with God and be real with one another. And God, again, he honored it. He was with us this last weekend. A couple of the quick stories. There was this one guy, tough-looking guy. A bunch of his friends had been praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. He doesn't go to church at all. And they're praying for this guy, praying for this guy. 
And this guy comes. They kind of got him in a headlock, got him up to camp. You know, and, and he gets up there and the music starts and he's seeing these guys just worshiping. The, the, the message is shared from a real place and he, words of God penetrates his heart. He, tears just start rolling down his face. And he looks at his friends and he's like, what just happened to me? <laughs> he didn't have words for what he was experiencing. It was the Holy Spirit, you know, happening, coming over this guy who had been prayed for and was surrounded by this whole thing. There were others. I lost track of how many guys came up, either personally up to me or, or sent emails afterwards saying, Chris, for the first time, I had this conviction come over me, and that wasn't the first time, but the conviction came. But here's what happened. This conviction came over me about some secret stuff in my life. And for the first time, in a small group, I shared. I, I got honest, I got real, and I told what was happening said, it just felt so freeing. And I'm going to make some changes. It was beautiful, beautiful what was happening in these men's life. You know, that experience comes in forms other than these feelings, though, too. The weekend was filled with moments where the Holy Spirit provided experiences that reminded people that God was with them even when they didn't feel it. So here's an example of that. It was um, going into the weekend one of the things that I felt like I was supposed to do was to give away a study Bible. And I prayed and said, okay, God, how do you want me to do that? And I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered, do, do the birthday thing, the person with the, the next birthday. I'm like, okay, we'll do that. So we did this thing, and this guy who won the Bible comes up to me afterwards. And he just says, Chris, you need to know that for the longest time I've been praying a very specific prayer that involved the Bible, and this just answered that. That's cool. There was another guy where I was given the message and, and he said, when I looked at him, I didn't know I was looking at him, but he said the words that came out of my mouth when we locked eyes, he said, for a year, I've been praying this prayer and those words were exactly what I needed to hear and it brought this release that he'd been waiting for for this year. It was just cool to see these things happening in people's life. There was another guy who wrote me this week. He said, I'm going to memorize, not just a verse, I'm going to memorize Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 8. <laughs> These two chapters that we taught out of. Wow. You, there was an expectancy going into this event that God was going to move. There was a preparation that happened on a part of the men to prepare themselves for it. And we saw cool things happen. This is why we invest in camp like we do. Because when camp is done well, and how many of you have ever been to a camp that was not done well? Right? I mean, all that oh, nightmares, right? But when a camp is done well, we experience God with us. And it's not even about the fit. One of the reasons we do that so much is we want to spoil people in the right ways so that they don't, they're not satisfied with less, right? So they're not satisfied when they come home and just going through the motions, that's what we don't want to have happen. My daughter, Andrea, had to do a project at school. It was called Faith and Life Project. And one of the things that she called out is the kind of experience where we, and I quote, just show up, sing reckless love, and then go out for brunch. <laughs> That's one of the reasons we invest in camp like we do, because we do not want people to be satisfied with just showing up, singing reckless love, and going out for brunch. We want people to have this experience with God that they want to continue and walk in throughout the year. What a great time of the year to prepare ourselves.
for a fresh advent of Christ in our lives, right? Is God's address 43696, 245th place, McGregor, Minnesota, 55760? Is that his address? Trick question, yes, and he lives other places too, right? Resides other places. It, it, it is Covenant Pines is not built on holy ground. Covenant Pines becomes holy ground as we leave all others' idols behind as we invite and welcome God's presence among us. Can that happen in your home? Yes. Can that happen with you personally at work? Yes. Can that happen during a commute? Yes. Can that happen on a walk? Yes. Can you leave idols behind? Can you welcome the presence of God among us? Do you see why this matters? And why it's good to put this on the calendar every year to remind ourselves. Let's prepare ourselves for a fresh advent, a God with us time that then prepares us for the year to come. If you want to prepare your heart and home for a fresh advent of Christ, the book of Isaiah is a great place to start. Because Isaiah, he received these visions. He received these messages from a God who delivered on his promises to overthrow nations, to even break the power of sin and death. And one of my big takeaways from Isaiah is this. There's a place to write this in your notes. This is so important. Isaiah reminds us that what matters? What matters? Kings. Kings matter. Look at the history of any organization. Kings matter. Isaiah called out Israel for fearing and aligning with the kingdoms of this world instead of the king to whom every knee will ultimately bow. There is a long line of kings and kingdoms that want you to be a part of their thing. Can I get an amen to that? They will try to persuade you. Some of them will try to do it by force. Some will do both. There is a long line of kings and kingdoms that want you to be a part of their thing. If God is not your king, how's that working for you? Not in a short moment, over time. How's that working for you? If you're following, if you're serving a king other than God, how is that working for you? Are you experiencing the kind of camp-like community that we've been describing? Are you sensing God's presence and guidance in your life? Are you experiencing more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or are you experiencing stress? Lots of it. Anxiety. Fear. Envy, anger, loneliness, hopelessness, shame. Isaiah describes a very different king who invites us into a very different kind of kingdom with a very different quality of life. Here's a glimpse into an invitation from God that has brought hope to millions. Why do I say that? Because the verse we're about to give you was from the world's most downloaded Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, like 300 million subscribers or something crazy like that. The most downloaded Bible passage from the world's most downloaded Bible app is this one. And guess where it comes from? The book of Isaiah. Here it is from 2018, the most popular Bible verse of last year. This invitation from God, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am what? With you. God with us. Fear not. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is an invitation. We can say no to it. Or we can say yes to it. Saying nothing is saying no. 
we can say yes to this. That's the kind of king that prophets like Isaiah and pastors like me invite you to welcome into your heart, into your home this Advent. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. Let's rediscover. Let's rediscover what it means to receive our king. Let's not just wait till we sing joy to the world. Let earth receive our king. Let's actually do it. Let's actually receive our king as we head into 2020. Again, the perfect time of the year to do this is now. The time of the year when we remember the great prophecies. Here's another of these great prophecies. This is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. In the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. Does that name ring a bell to some of you? Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? A great light. A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. Isaiah received a message from God that a day would come when those who walked in darkness would see a great light in the land beyond the Jordan. And in the fullness of time, there were some seekers in the east that saw what? A bright star. Still have that bookmark in Matthew? Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Back in Matthew again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his what? His star. When it rose and we've come to what? Worship him. We've come to worship him. Okay, leave a bookmark there. Let's go back to Isaiah again. Isaiah 60, verse 6. This one was fun. I'm reading through Isaiah and I come across this. I'm like, no way. Here it is, Isaiah 66. They shall bring what? Gold, frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Didn't those gifts ring a bell, anybody? Gold and frankincense this time of year? The, the wise men came from the east and they had come to worship. And they didn't worship with words only. They brought these gifts. They brought these gifts. Okay, let's go back to Matthew again. Matthew chapter 2, jumping ahead to verses 10 through 11. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. They sang reckless love and they went to brunch. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. They said, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This Advent season, what if we Minnesotans from the West joined the Magi from the East, and we worshiped with more than words? What if we pressed into these passages? And what if we pressed in? What does it mean? What could it mean for us to worship with our gold? What could it mean to worship with frankincense? What could it mean to worship with myrrh? There's a place to write that in the notes. This Advent, we're going to reflect between now and Christmas Eve, Eve. We're going to reflect on what it means to offer God our gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever done a Bible study in these words? It's fascinating. Fascinating. Let me get, quickly give you the outline of the next three weeks, and then we'll close our time here together. These three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were of great value in the ancient world. When caravans were transporting valuable things, and we find in the Bible they itemized these valuable things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were often on these lists. When people in the scriptures put together the ultimate first century swag bags, and before that, these were the kinds of gifts that you would include. And so, kids, you've been so patient. You guys have been awesome. Let me show you what I have in here, and then after the service, you can come up and take a closer look at these things. I'll put them right 
down so you can take a look. We have real gold. We have real frankincense. We have real myrrh. How do I know that? Because I got it off the internet. <laughs> and it came with a certificate of authenticity. So that's how we know this. But let's start. Gold. Gold was one of the precious gifts that was there. And one of the things about gold is gold sets the gold standard. There's a reason they call gold the gold standard. This is a precious metal. It's always been considered precious. In pretty much every culture that I can think of, precious metal. Gold is something that people would trade. Gold is something that people would, would do. They would fight over. Gold was very precious to people. And if you had an idol and you wanted to make that idol extra special, what would you cover it in? Cover it in gold. All right, the next one is frankincense. Frankincense. Now, this one confused me when I was a kid because I, all I could think of was Frankenstein. It's some of you too? Yeah, and I was like, how does that even, it doesn't even make sense to me at all. But frankincense has nothing to do with Frankenstein. Let me get my frankincense cliff notes here so I get this right. All right, it's not Frankenstein. Frankenstein comes from a plant that could only be found in a very restricted habitat, which is one of the reasons why it was so valuable. It was as precious as gold in the ancient world. People were trading this stuff 5,000 years ago. There's evidence of people trading frankincense 5,000 years ago. In two weeks, what we're going to do, in two weeks, we're going to press into what does it mean? What does it mean to, to honor God with our frankincense? What does that mean? And it gets really interesting because of something that we find in Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus chapter 30, that chapter describes a very specific mixture of incense that was the only incense that was permitted on the altar of God. Guess what was a part of that? frankincense. And this was a very specific mixture. And it was said that that mixture, if you used it anywhere else, you were to be cut off from God's people. So in two weeks, we're going to press into that. What does it mean to have that kind of worship? To have that kind of worship. All right. And oh, I also forgot about gold. So week next week, we're going to talk about gold. What does it mean to offer that to God? Because the contrast is really something. The contrast between how the kings of this world want you to look at gold and how they look at gold and then how King Jesus approached gold. It's going to be fascinating. Okay, so let's move on to number three, myrrh, myrrh. Myrrh is really interesting because it rhymes with grr and who doesn't like to say grr once in a while. So myrrh, let's talk about this one. Myrrh comes from the same plant family as frankincense. I know that because it says it right here in my sheet, right? It was used in rituals. It was used as a medicine and as a really, really expensive form of Febreze. In ancient times, look it up. All right. In ancient times, myrrh was the most valuable of these three. It was worth sometimes up to seven times its weight in gold. And it was used when the pharaohs would mum get mummified. Myrrh was there. It was something you'd use to bury a king. It's all over the Old Testament. In addition to the list that I already referenced, Queen Esther received myrrh treatments as they prepared her to be presented to the king. The hairy bunch of Ishmaelites who brought Joseph into slavery, they were transporting myrrh. A shady lady in the book of Proverbs used myrrh to lure men. And myrrh makes an appearance in the Song of Songs in a much more wholesome romantic context. Well, in three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this role that myrrh plays specifically with Jesus in his last moments, how it was there when he was on the cross and how it was there as they buried him. So 
what we're going to do then, and one of the reasons we're moving communion to that Sunday, is we're going to look at what Isaiah says about the suffering servant. It's going to be very interesting. What does it mean for us to offer God our myrrh? Again, kids, afterwards, I'll put these right down so you can take a look at these things. I'm really excited for this series. I love the challenge of exploring the Old Testament to see how it connects with the new. But what excites me the most is what this could do, bless you, what this could do for our church and for our community. If we did more experiencing of God with us. It's happening, but what if it was happening more camp-like, more often? Imagine that. That brings us to the final talk point on our outline. We invite you to experience Christ with us this Christmas. On the Christian calendar, the new year begins with Advent. It begins with Advent. What if we could start this year right? By preparing our hearts and our homes for a fresh Advent of Christ. The world needs more people who aren't just singing about God on Sundays or learning about God on Sundays. The world needs more people who are experiencing something real, authentic, this Christian community that so many of us experienced before. The world needs more people who are being led and guided by God's word and his spirit. The world needs more people who are becoming a little bit more like Jesus each day. Um, this is especially fresh because just right after this service, the first service, I had a guy come up to me. And uh, he says, you know, I haven't been to church because he's referring to a story I'm about to tell you. But he said, I haven't, I haven't been to church much. And, um, but I know the people who invited me here today. And he said, if they think this church is okay, I think it's probably okay. You guys, one of the reasons this matters so much is not only for us, but for a world who rightfully so have become very, very jaded. Mostly because of the hypocrisy that they see. They see people who gather as we're gathering here, but as they go forth, they don't take Jesus with them. Right? And that certainly happened up at camp. This, this was powerful for this one guy. So I'll close with this story and then we'll have a song here to seal this time together. There was this young man that came up to me after the um, communion service on Saturday night. And he came up, he was kind of in that, I call it the hover position. He was kind of off to the side. And, and when there was an opening, he came up and he, and he started like this. He's like, and then the tears came and he just stepped back, composed himself. Happened like three times. And when he got the words out, it was something like this. He said, you know, I grew up in a church where it was this big church and Music, man, people's hands were in the air. It was excellent. And, and the, the, the messages they proclaimed, there was always Bible verses in there. And he said, there's lots of amens and stuff from the crowd, including from my dad, who was very different at home. And he said, I would go to camps. I would go to camps. And at these camps, the music was great. Speakers were inspiring. People would be all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But then we'd go home. And those same people were very different to me in school. And he said, I just want to say thank you because what you guys are saying and what I'm experiencing outside of this Jesus room, they're the same thing. You know? I want to apologize to those of you who that's been your story. I'm so sorry that you've seen that over and over again people who honor God with their lips, but their lives are so far from him. You know, we're not <laughs> even going to be close to perfect around here. But I hope the one thing that you do see is that we're sincerely 
we believe this. And we're trying our best as broken people to follow this Jesus. And we'd invite you to, as best you can, to try looking at Jesus himself through fresh eyes and see what happens if you try preparing your heart and home for a fresh advent of Christ this Christmas. And let's see what happens. Can we do that? All right. And the rest of us, let's make it easier for them as we as broken people do our best to follow Jesus. So worship band, when you want to come up in place, get in place and let's close. Um, Let me pray for them as we do. Father, songs are powerful, powerful. They take these words and they, they put them with music and it, it helps us engage with our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray that you'll help us to make the most of this opportunity right now to engage you. Not as something we check as a did it box, but as something that helps fuel our faith and spur us on. So Father, we invite your presence here among us not just in this room, not just in this season, but in the years ahead until you come back. We pray in Jesus' name.